We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I know what you're thinking. Two episodes in one week. Why? Well... We had a great opportunity to interview Mike Prada from SB Nation. Make sure to go online and look at Mike Prada's profile. His last two things he wrote about were the Phoenix Suns. Check out his article on why the Suns look so good this season and how sustainable that will be. And then his article that posted today, which is about Devin Booker, partially about what he did in that game against the 76ers. Before we get to the interview with Mike Prada, I do want to say this episode is brought to you by Untuck It and Manscaped. Untuck it, the holidays are almost here, and you know what that means? Gifts. And what better gift to give to the guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, Untuck it shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untuck it shirts always fall at just the right length, no matter his size. So he looks casual and sharp. Buy a shirt for your dad, for your brother, for your friend that will actually fit them right. It can be frustrating to wear shirts that don't look good untucked, especially when you live somewhere hot like Phoenix. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Let's go. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Like, you guys can play with anybody. That's what I'm saying. Great contributions across the board. You can play with anybody in the freaking league, all right? Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. We're really, really, really happy to bring you guys a bonus episode this week, an extra episode because something was written about the Suns that was so good that we had to bring someone on to talk about it. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Great, Mike. I'm super excited for uh, the guest we have on right now. 
Yes, and from SB Nation, an excellent basketball writer, we have Mike Prada. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You guys are way too kind. (laughs) It was really great. You know, I think there's a little bit of uh, Suns fans have... The Suns have been such a boring team, I think, on a national scale for national media for such a long time. So to see someone who is as good of a writer as you take the time it takes to write something about the Suns like you did... It's almost like uh, you know water in the desert. Or you know, it was really, it was really nice to read something that uh, went into detail uh, on on the Suns the way you did. And what we're talking about for those who haven't read it, look right now. Uh, just go to Mike Prada's SB Nation page and find his most recent article about the Suns. It's titled "There's Nothing Special About the Phoenix Suns," but that's not. Yeah, what a lot of expect. people didn't like that headline. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think I, I fought for that one, so I feel like I got to take an L on that. Other people <laughs> on, on the site were were pushing for other ones. Well, I think if you read the if you read the article, it makes a lot of sense because what you're saying yeah. is. <laughs> Uh, what they did is they became competent and being competent in the NBA across all levels can get you pretty far. And that's a lot of what the article is about. Now, what made you want to write about the Phoenix Suns and what was your general impression of them so far this season? Well, obviously they're a lot better than I think me or really anyone expected so far this year. And, you know, usually you do those curiosity looks at where they rank and it wasn't like they they were very well balanced. They were ranked pretty high in both offense and defense. So obviously I'm thinking to myself like, huh, what's going on here? This seems a little bit, I'd be curious to explain it and watching them play. I mean, I I just remember thinking like watching a lot of their games early in the season, this is kind of boring. There's no, (laughs) there's no like real, I can't spot like it. It's not as easy as like, Oh, I mean, this was written before Monday's big, Devin Booker game, but it's not like you can say, "Oh man, Devin Booker's really yeah. like raises his game." It's not you like know. Trey Young. Yeah, right, right. It wasn't like that. I just, I just kept watching it them play, and I just kept thinking, uh, "I have very little to note here." It all seems <laughs> right, kind of normal. But that's so exciting for Suns fans in <laughs> right. kind of a tragic way, right? And and yeah, <laughs> like it's it was so refreshing because something we've done on this podcast and something Suns fans have done generally is they've taken such offense, uh, whether deserved or not, to so many of the national media takes about this team over the past several years. So to see an article like this with an extensive breakdown offensively and defensively about some of the things this team is doing right now, as Mike sort of alluded to uh, at the beginning of the episode, was really refreshing. And in particular with the defense, I kind of want to start there um, because Mike and I broke down sort of ourselves on our podcast a few days ago uh, talking about some of the offense on this team, but we didn't really get into the nitty gritty of the defense. And I loved what you pointed out in your article about the defense. You talked about the Suns uh, and the scheme that they're using to defend the pick and roll, using the nail defender in these pick and roll coverages to rotate off perimeter players and pack the paint to prevent penetration uh, to your best ability, prevent penetration at all costs, even if it allows uh, potentially open three-point shots. First of all, correct me if I'm wrong, that is you know, basically the point of the defensive coverage here, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's that seemed to be what I observed. I mean, I just remember watching all these games and thinking, writing down notes like, oh, wow, like somebody was in the way there. Like that mm-hmm. was a lot harder, that driving lane, than I thought. And you just sort of look back at it and you see sort of 
the player there. Um, and you also, of course, sort of see, I mean, this is the one thing that I think a lot of people have noted is maybe perhaps not being sustainable is that they are giving up a decent number of open threes. And I, right. I just, it was, it was relatively, I, you, you connect the dots and then that sort of kind of makes sense to me watching them play. Cause it also felt, I mean, the other thing I felt like kind of watching before I really kind of dug into kind of looking back at plays was like, they're bumping guys a lot. Like they're pretty yeah. physical. Yeah. Like, yeah. It seems Even like Rubio. there's always someone cr- crashing into each other. And mm-hmm. you know, that, that all started just to kind of come together. Um, and this is sort of what, in some ways, this is not particularly remarkable. I mean, this is what a lot of good defenses do. I'm, yeah, I was just at Nets, the Nets Pelicans game. And you look at how New Orleans plays, this is kind of the, the inverse of what they do. They don't have that sort of bumping. So I just thought that was sort of somewhat, uh, unique. And then going back to the thought of that, I had of like, well, this isn't really, this all seems kind of basic. It, I started to go on like a bit of a wild goose chase thinking about well, what has James Jones said about the type of players they want to bring in over the years, um, all of that. And then it kind of comes back to what he said. I think that was his press conference after firing Igor Kokoskov. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, no. <laughs> where he said, you know, we, we need to raise the floor and it kind of started to kind of come together for me a little bit. Just sort of well, looking at I, all I guess that. the other part of that is it basically seems like what you've advocated for, or at least what's working for the Suns so far, is a greater simplification uh, of their defensive scheme, for better or worse. And it makes a lot of sense, kind of, if you envision the Suns teams we've had in the past that had so many young players. But what's interesting about this Suns team in particular is that you bring in players who have veteran uh, playoff experience. Guys like Ricky Rubio, Tyler Johnson, Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, Frank Kaminsky, all guys who've been added over the past year that have that sort of experience. So my question for you then is, do you need this level of simplification to the scheme to be successful for guys who have been in the NBA with that level of experience? Is that really necessary to be successful? And kind of where does that justification for all of this come from? Well, I think it doesn't have to be. I think it all sort of stems from you know, one of the things I sort of like about an organization uh, is when it comes together, when you can kind of see like a very clear through line between what the general manager is saying to what the coach is saying. And it sort of felt like this was just the way that James Jones has decided he wanted to build. And I remember it being mocked at the time because it was sort of capping himself. But once you sort of say like, hey, we need to kind of raise the floor, I think it kind of comes with that, that you want to build something where you want to do a few things really well rather than try to do seven things decently or whatever. And then it kind of comes through who they acquired. I mean, Aaron Baines in particular is the kind of player that he is very much like, I do one thing and I do one thing really well type of player. And that's got me in the league for eight years, you know, and that, so that kind of squares really nicely there. And I think you see with Sarge too, and I'm, and Rubio as well. I mean, this was a player that a team in the jazz who were already good, were just like, now nah, we can do better. We, we can do better. We're going to get Mike Conley. Like we have reached, we've reached our limit with what Ricky Rubio can give us. And the Suns are like, no, we need that player. And I think it all kind of stems from that. But I mean, theoretically you could, if, if it's all aligned in the same way, it's sort of less important. I think whether the scheme is simple or complicated or whether you drop defense or whether you trap, whether you help on the nail or whether you're a little bit less rotation wise, whatever, as long as it's sort of coming from a pretty, clear aligned way and i think that that's what the suns have accomplished and of course to your point like that's what the suns have failed to accomplish for half for almost a decade yes now. 
So it's sort of that in and of itself is very interesting to me as well. I think that a huge part of this offseason was trying to build a culture of guys who just play right. I think for so long, Devin Booker was surrounded by so many players who were either not experienced enough to make the right decisions or were just constantly bad decision makers in general. And to try and fix that culture, I think that was the main focus. It was more than trying to get another star like, say, D'Angelo Russell. Uh, it was more like, how do we surround Devin Booker with competent players? Like you said, raise the floor, like James Jones noted. I do have a question back to the defense that we were talking about. The Suns are fouling a lot. They're one of the top teams in the NBA's at foul. You talk, you talked about I think physicality. The top team, right? Yeah, I think they were. I haven't looked after the last game. That's the Neither only reason I. I didn't say that. I, I'm sure I they are. Meant, Monty, Monty said something about it after I think it was the Utah game, right? Yeah, and he was just mm-hmm. like, you can't. As continued, I'm thinking like, okay, you have to say that. Like, I, I don't know if that's right. really what you believe. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I think you're right because he's said two different things on that. You can't continue to foul so much, but he's also said in the past he's kind of okay with the amount of fouling so far because of the physicality and how important that is. How much do you believe that repu- – because I think a lot of Suns fans think reputation takes takes uh, takes over by, from the ref's perspective a little bit. The Suns have never been – or in the past have not been a very physical team. And to a point, there's a belief that maybe they aren't getting the benefit of the doubt on the whistle because they uh, have not shown that physicality in the past. Do you think that's real? Like if they – continue to be physical do you think that refs will expect something different out of this or do you think that has nothing to do with how refs actually call the game i mean it would be silly to say it has nothing to do everybody is human but i actually think that the, this is working in the sun's favor not against the suns because i think a lot of teams are coming in right now and they're surprised by how difficult it is to do very basic stuff like bring the ball up the court and cut through the lane and get a roller through without having someone at that's tagging the player and being physical. And if the trade-off is you get a few more foul calls than you'd expect, I think it was Jerry Sloan who once said, you know, you can't call everything, right? Yeah. I think Monty Williams even referenced that. So I actually think that, I mean, Suns fans, maybe they're upset about a reputation and there have been some questionable calls. And I know the game the other night, Devin Booker had the fifth foul he had, I think, was the one that they challenged right near yeah. the end in particular. Yeah. But ultimately, like this is working in their favor more than it's working against them. The fact that teams are not expecting them to be to this physical, to be to make it this difficult for you to do really basic stuff is kind of fundamental to how they play defense. So if the trade-off is you get a few more whistles than usual, like I think that's a that's a good thing. And so actually if I'm a Suns fan, I would be really happy about this. I think my last question here on the defense, it's really exciting that people seem to have woken up to the idea of the Suns being competent and are starting to believe that they actually could be competent. But going forward, if you actually want to turn this into not just a competent team, but a legitimately good team, it depends on the development of that guy, DeAndre Ayton, who still has another 20 games to go on his suspension. How that relates to the defense, Mike, is... Right now, if you're so focused on protecting the paint and packing the paint with Aaron Bain specifically being that guy down there uh, as an enforcer uh, and as a guy who's been pretty good so far at protecting the rim, given that that's not so much DeAndre Ayton's reputation, uh, at least this far into his NPA career, how do you see him fitting into this type of scheme when he gets back? And and how well do you see the Suns fitting the same uh, sort of scheme around Ayton? 
Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this all works out. I actually, you know, watching the only game that Aiton played was one I I made sure to watch after I had saw that score because I was kind of it was one of those opening night stunners where I actually was pretty excited about the Kings and then they kind of to see the Suns blow them out. And I remember watching that game and I mean Aiton kind of blew me away with the way he was protecting the rim. I was like, yeah. "Who the hell is this dude? Like this is <laughs> this is a guy that like if you just sort of feigned in his direction, he went flying 5 feet in the air um last year." So I was pretty stunned to see that and that was obviously really encouraging. So you know, maybe this is actually really good for him where he's no longer forced to have to also level to the ball, the the level of the screen on the ball. You can kind of focus a little bit. I also wonder, I mean, I know this was sort of a thing that was an offseason uh, talking point, but whether maybe he goes back and he plays more four, maybe he plays with Aaron Baines sometimes, and maybe that cha- that will help him too. But, I mean, it's certainly a, a an interesting question to ponder um, but I mean, look, that first game he played, like he just, I mean, it sounds really simple. I'm sure he can't really do it as a second year player, but I mean, that, that was pretty impressive within what I think the sun scheme still was, you know, there is still one little data point that should make some fans <laughs> excited. Now on the offensive end of the ball, uh, I think the first question I have to ask you is, did you come up with Splash Volcano as a nickname <laughs> for Aaron Baines? I'm I'm stunned that that is taking off. Yeah, no, I no, it's funny. I was uh, I think it was Sunday night or whatever, and I was like writing that line, and I had Brooke Lopez in my mind. Yeah, you know, as another big right. shooter. I, I actually think it was someone someone on our bright side of the sun blog had made like sort of the Lopez and, well, comparison. I, I write for Bright Side of the Sun as well, but Evan Sidery. I yeah, think wrote well. an article comparing the two of them. I posted a video uh, recently about Aaron Baines's transformation this year to our YouTube channel as well, and made the right. Brook Lopez comparison as well. It's going all around the Suns community as well right now because that's really what it looks like. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I must have just read read or watched that video, and so I was thinking like, what's like kind of a more sturdy, more like kind of <laughs> whatever mountain. And I even like called my wife down. I was like, "Hey, can you help me figure out like what what would you say is like sort of a more solid mountain?" We couldn't figure out anything, so I was just like looked googled like kind of mountain synonyms and volcanoes. <laughs> so. I love that. <laughs> you know, that was what I was going for. But I mean, it doesn't uh, splash volcano just because it's like a bigger mountain. But I don't know. Are volcanoes even bigger than mountains? I, I imagine, like, the lava erupting going nicely with Baines's, like, you know, red beard. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely image, I think. Yeah, yeah. it works. It really yeah. works. Is that the biggest surprise for the Suns so far, is the way Aaron Baines... That, for me, I, I'd have to say that's probably the most surprising thing. This guy who, first of all, Aaron Baines is massive, uh, you know, bigger even than Brooke Lopez. And to see him shoot threes with such bizarre form and then to be hitting them at this level, that's been the biggest surprise for me. Is that how you felt watching them? Yeah, it's like he shoots on his tippy toes. It's like <laughs> kind of funny. Um, yeah, and kicks you know, forward. Yeah, I, I think the fact that he's shooting, what, like six or seven per 36 minutes or whatever is yeah. like a surprise. He he sort of teased this. Was it two years ago in the conference final semifinals against Philly where he suddenly pulled Joel and beat out of the hoop and made yeah. a bunch of threes? 
So he's like sort of dabbled in this a little bit, but I think the fact that he's shooting that many is is definitely a big shocker. I actually think you know this isn't maybe an offense thing, but the the guy who's kind of blown me away the most this year is Javon Carter because I yeah barely knew who he was yeah, and he's actually kind of a contributor now. And he was I believe he was in the Josh Jackson trade. Right? Yes. He was sort of a throwing in there, and that mm-hmm. was a trade that the Suns, of course, were criticized for for giving up too much. <laughs> You know, so that that's the guy that surprised me mostly. Well, and I'll be perfectly honest, you know, I criticized that trade because I didn't want to lose DeAnthony Melton. A lot of Suns fans were really excited about DeAnthony Melton as a rookie who was, yeah. uh, even though he was statistically possibly the worst offensive point guard in the NBA, or probably definitively the worst offensive point guard in the NBA last season, who started a number of games, uh, defensively he was disruptive and played the passing lanes. Uh, and just had this freakish wingspan. But Javon Carter, to uh, your point and to his credit, has come in and done a really good job playing a sort of similar role. And he can even hit a three, uh, to, from what I can tell so far, which uh, DeAnthony Melton couldn't do. Um, about offense, the other point that you made in your article that I really liked was you were talking about the Suns having this philosophy now with their bigs uh, in particular and all of these stretch bigs who can shoot, whether it be Baines or Sarich or Kaminsky, Uh, This philosophy of only having one guy rolling into the paint at a time and not clogging it, trying to do what you can do to maximize spacing. Again, this guy DeAndre Ayton, I think, has to come up in this conversation as well, just because the duality right now of DeAndre Ayton versus Aaron Baines, both offensively and defensively, uh, they seem like such different players. And if you have DeAndre Ayton returning to the lineup and he's the guy entering the paint, what does that now mean, not only for Aaron Baines, who returns to the bench, but for other guys on this offense, like Kelly Oubre, who I think has done a really good job slashing so far off of dribble mm-hmm. handoffs, or a guy like Mikhail Bridges? You pointed to the Suns uh, having an increased number of cut plays this season so far, and I think that was a really good point as well, and I think Mikhail Bridges is a guy who's really benefited from that. So, you know, how does Aiton fit into the offense as well? Yeah, it's a, it's, the, look, it's a great question. If I If I had a really good answer, I would give it it's going to be really interesting to see i mean yeah. the one thing the one thing that the suns do well that maybe is a really good fit for Aiton is that they seem to do a good job of posting their their forwards or their guards you see sarge do this a lot i think i think i know his stats are not great but i think sarge has been a little better than his numbers indicate this year you know booker did a lot the other night and this is something that Aiden is very much our our uh, michael pino who writes for espionation.com noted this over the summer that's a dude that if especially if you play him at the four you can certainly post him against a smaller player you can duck him in when everybody else is out of the paint and he can kind of eat there so that might be a place for him to really thrive. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting to see. I mean, like this, this whole thing about like kind of one person, the pain at a time, I think that's like what everybody really would strive for in this league. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, like they're really, you, you don't really want two people there at once. It's just, I think that there are a lot of players in this league that, you know, it's just instinct. When your guy leaves you, you want to get the ball close to the basket. And it takes a certain type of role player, I think, to understand that, like that can be, a very good thing for you to do to cut to the basket, but it can also make life more difficult for your teammates. And the Suns have those types of players who understand that there's just a lot of value in just standing far away. I mean, Baines is really good at this. I think Sarch has got a great sense of this. I think this is the one thing Kaminsky does pretty well, even when his shot isn't falling. So it's going to be interesting to see like kind of what happens with Aiden. There's no question, but you know, maybe you look at him as like kind of on those post duckins. That's something where he can kind of, 
still do what he does and everybody else can still get out of the way for him to do that. I think they're going to have to find out if he can shoot threes <laughs> too. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's another yeah. thing. What yeah. they're gonna well, that's going to gonna be interesting too, though, because that's another very walk before you can run dilemma, isn't it? Right. Yeah. You know, he's shown it in college and, uh, he, you know, the form is a little awkward, but so is Aaron Baines. <laughs> so yeah, I think they have to test it out in this offense. And, and if he can't do it, yeah, maybe, uh, they have to work him in the offense a little differently, but seeing the way the offense flows with Aaron Baines being able to set massive screens. I mean, how many guys can set massive screens and shoot threes? Uh, that's kind of a rare combination of skills. And Aaron Baines has, uh, both of those. I think, We talked on our last episode about how often the Suns are running uh, some variation of a horns offense, essentially where uh, guys are cutting around screens um, on those on the elbows, basically. Do you think that that can become predictable? So this is something that uh, what Coach Nick on B-Ball Breakdown talked about as potentially a problem of it becoming too predictable in the NBA with the horns offense. Uh, you know, a lot of teams know how to defend it because a lot of teams run that offense. Do you think that that's possible or do you think that there's enough variations of that that it's not something to worry about? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, the truth of the matter is, I think, is that all NBA offenses are pretty predictable. There isn't that much variation. I mean, how many teams run 21 action? How many teams run, yeah. to your point, like, whether it's horns or not, like different sorts of flex actions, you right. know? I don't think there's like a huge variation there. Um, that's a significant concern. I mean, there is a danger that the Suns in general are going to be predictable, whether it's their defensive scheme or the way they play. I don't think that's really like kind of specific to the what they're running, though. At, that at, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the Suns, what they've done successfully with James Jones is added as many players as possible uh, to this roster compared to previous rosters of guys who can – uh, catch in space and and like play make for others um and and i think that's just more so than anything that they're running is is going to go a long way towards what they're yeah. able to do on the offensive end but um yeah i mean look they gotta they need they probably ultimately need another perimeter guy who can dribble on the perimeter i think rubio teams will leave him they'll cramp space you know Ubre. i'm very familiar with kelly Ubre's work as a washington wizards fan i'm still <laughs> mad about that trade i think the fact that he's playing so well when he isn't dribbling as much is sort of kind of the two are related right um yeah so at some point i think it will they will be doomed a little bit by not having another guy who can create offense for himself other than booker even with this this crew but again that would be true no matter what they're running i right? assume i assume you mean like a, a, at a certain standard of play right because you're not talking like a guy like tyler johnson is a competent bench piece but you're talking about like a guy a cut above that right yeah i mean ironically you know this what utah ran into eventually is that they just had too few guys that could make a play uh for themselves and rubio had a cat hit a ceiling the suns don't have to worry about that yet but that obviously will be a challenge down the road um for sure and you know we'll see exactly maybe ayton does some stuff that alleviates that. I mean, that is one way that he can help. So maybe there's some way that he alleviates that prob- that potential problem. Now, I have to ask, as someone who basically will consume all Suns content out there, because we host this podcast, of course, <laughs> what do you think the Suns have to do so that the uh, goat that shit in Ryan McDonough's office is no longer mentioned <laughs> at the end of every Suns story? <laughs> 
I don't know if you're ever living that one down, honestly. Well, let me Look, let me again. Like I'm a Wizards fan. Like we had a player poop in someone else's shoe back in the day. <laughs> like you still hear about that one. I mean, it's just sort of franchise lore. If I were you guys, I'd just own it. Well, let me just let me actually represent the other side of that. Ryan McDonough drafted Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender, Josh Jackson, and then DeAndre Ayton over Luka Doncic. Maybe it's okay that we let a goat shit in his office. Wait, wait. So you're saying that because he may have made a couple bad decisions in the draft, it's okay for his place of work to to just have poop all over it? I think you know what? maybe it is, yeah. Mike, it, yeah. it doesn't bother me. That's quite harsh. It doesn't bother me when I see it at the end of your article. It's okay. It just bothers me when I watch Rachel Nichols on the jump. <laughs> Uh, make the same jokes, whoever her producers are, make the same joke about it for the 15th consecutive time that they've covered I mean, Phoenix, you, even you know, after a win. Making Just own it, man. Like, that's what That's, that's what how do. I choose to own it, I think. Like, let's just own it. Like, I, I, this is the kind of thing that I don't, I, I get that, like, oh, no, it's another poop joke. But, like, <laughs> that story is hilarious. Yes, it is. It's like, funny. That story is really funny. And, like, the truth is that every organization has got some skeleton in the closet there yeah that gets reminded me imagine being a knicks fan yeah there's nothing true. that you can do that like will i mean it's there's very little thought. i mean like <laughs> we still as a wizards fan get like john wall jordan crawford andre blotch new big three jokes like, yeah right or guns in the you locker room yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's not as funny, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, you just have to own it. Like that's sort of part of the fun of being a fan, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it yeah. is. I, You're right. It, I find I found it funny, uh, especially at the end of that article, but it did kind of catch me off guard feeling so optimistic reading the entire thing. And then just like reality uh, shitting on the floor <laughs> of my office, basically. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I thought about putting the lead and it just didn't work. So I'm glad that, um, glad <laughs> no, I it was, do that. it was good. I think the way you did it. My last question for you, Mike. The Suns are now five and two. A lot of people believe they're competent. Are you willing to go out on a limb and give us a record projection for where you think the Suns are going to end up? Or you could choose like a place in the standings as well. Do you think this could be a playoff team? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, I I tried really hard, I think, to caution a little bit against this start. I don't think they're this good. I think there is reason to be concerned about the shots they are giving up and you know, the trade-offs they're making and whether that'll turn around. But, I mean, the other reason to be optimistic if you're a Suns fan is that, like, if you look at the bottom of the West, it's kind of a lot more trash than we all expected. Right, right. I mean, New Orleans is 1-6. in six. Uh, Portland just lost to Golden State. Golden State, obviously, is a total train wreck. Dallas is really good. Um, that's for sure. But Sacramento. generally, I mean, yeah, Sacramento is kind of a mess right now. I'm I still have some hope there, but I, I think, yeah, it's been a rough start. Um, I know Minnesota's doing decently so far, and that's fine. But, I mean, many of the teams that you thought would be in that sort of super competitive battle for eighth aren't really there right now. So I'm not sure it will take as much to get into the playoffs as it did last year. You know, so I, I think that – there's very much hope that they can sneak in. And I think that would be great and amazing accomplishment. Um, I guess I would probably put them in at this point, although I'm not Ooh. super confident about it. I mean, wow. <laughs> again, like you have to look at like sort of what the competition is, yeah. you know, there's not as much there as you'd think. And, you know, I think new Orleans will get better once Zion Williamson comes back. Right. I think Sacramento, they're still dealing with that, that preseason trip has really been a 
kind of a mind fuck for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnesota is, you know, so I, I think it's possible. I mean, I think we're looking at this point probably like around 500. Right. Yeah. Well, the the last time the Suns came close and surprised everyone was the season when they won 48 games but finished ninth. And this doesn't yeah. this doesn't feel like that type of Western Conference for sure. No, no way. I mean, no, absolutely not. Oh, I love that Suns team. I remember that team. Yeah, it was really it was fun. So, such a fun team to watch. Yeah. It, I mean, it's interesting to think, like, is these guys better than those those teams? And it's, you know, I, I'm really curious to see, like, sort of, again, what happens when teams start to get adjusted to how the Suns defend. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. And to your guys' point, I mean, what happens when Aiden comes back? I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like making a trade in the in the middle of the uh, uh, the season. So getting a new guy that needs to be that involved is going to be interesting to see how they work him into the off- offense um, and defense, of course. Uh, Mike, the next game for the Suns is versus another surprise team, which is the Miami Heat. Uh, they have exceeded expectations in a lot of ways, especially with young guys kind of... Uh, really playing very, very well for the Miami Heat. And I think they are maybe the best coached team in the league so far this season. Do you have any thoughts on the Suns versus the Heat? Yeah, I, I, I'll have a lot more once I start this DVR of the Miami-Denver game, that's for ah. sure. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think it'll be it'll be interesting. I think Miami's sort of got the same sort of like kind of Jedi three-point defense we talk about where right. they're leaving guys open and they're just not making the shots. But... They're a deep team. They've got great defensive players. I'm I'm big on Tyler Hero. I really like him. Yeah. Uh, Reminds me of think, Booker. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, that, that'd be like, I don't know if he's that good. Um, <laughs> and Bam Adebayo is one of those players that just like is like kind of like Pascal Siakam was for me last year. Like that's appointment television. Um, but no, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, you know. I'll have more detailed heat thoughts after I watch this Nuggets game. <laughs> All right, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, go and find this article if you have not already read it. Mike Prada writes for SB Nation. Mike, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Mike Prada, SBN, just uh, the acronym. Find him there, follow him, read all of his stuff. Thank you once again, Mike, for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Big, big thanks to Mike Prater for joining us on this episode, which is also brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Once again, the last thing you want is something that can hurt you when you're grooming. Make sure to buy Manscaped. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BLUEWIRE at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLUEWIRE at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code bluewire
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.